0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. member FDIC.
1: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is about to franchise a counselling service for Derby County fans. We are going to clean up... I am Kevin Day and he's Liverpool University's
0: Kieran Maguire. Hello Kieran, how are you? I'm I'm as good as can be expected really. Um I know I'm too I should be too old for this. Mm-hmm. But winning a match on a Saturday makes you feel fucking brilliant when you wake up on the Sunday morning.
1: It it, it does indeed. Yeah, I have vague memories of that feeling. Yes. Uh also, I'm slightly relieved. That's where you went after you said oh, I should be too old for this, because that could have gone <laughs> could have gone anywhere in the world, really. <laughs> uh, and have you sorted the dog out? We had a mild uh, off-air dog problem just before we started. Is he is he okay? Yeah,
0: he, he, he's wandered out of the office into the lounge now. So he's he's sat in front of the fire. Oh, get you, Mister Posh, an office and a fire <laughs> in the lounge
1: um it's questions day kieran but we do have some news stories and yes derby county fans i'm afraid you are one of them uh but the first story is one that kieran will be interested in or possibly insisted on having in the script the price of himalayan pink salt I'll say, is oh, so it's through the roof oh um and also <laughs> your wafer says that anyone with a ticket to the euros is just days to apply for a refund
0: and if not could lose their
1: money if their game gets moved
0: Yes, uh, UEFA sent out emails uh, last week on Thursday, and they said uh, we can't guarantee the tournament takes place. And, and if if it doesn't take place, or if matches take place behind closed doors, mm. then we will give you a refund. You know, June, July, whenever it's going to be. However, if if you feel you don't want to to go to a match, you've you've got ten days to uh, get your refund application in. Um, and I, I was humming and harring about because I've got, I've got, uh, I've got ten tickets, and so I was really looking forward. So I was, you know, you could see England play at Wembley in a, in a tournament. Yeah, you know, it's always a good, good fun with that. Um, but then when you go through the terms and conditions, and, and as you know, I, I, I like a bit of small print, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's various references to force majeure, um, and and it says here that. If the if the match uh, cannot take place in that particular country, so let's say that England's match gets moved to Spain or Russia or Germany, yeah. um, under those circumstances, you will not get a refund, and and getting to that match and and playing for the flight and the accommodation and the time off work, yeah, that's your problem. So um, I, I think it's put a lot of fans, especially English fa- England fans, um, in, in a in a bit of a dilemma because. If the match doesn't take place, I might have work commitments around that time of year. Certainly, getting to Wembley is not a problem, but getting to Madrid, getting to Azerbaijan, getting to you know wherever it's going to be, um, so uh, it, it does seem a bit harsh by UEFA. I mean, they have sold three million tickets for the tournament, and it's worth an absolute fortune in 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 terms of the money for them, uh, because I think uh, we've discussed the ticket prices before, uh, but. Uh, it, it it to me it seems harsh. I mean, if if they have to move the tournament, then surely under those circumstances you should get a refund. But I mean, they have been clear, but it, it's not a lot of time to uh, to to get your ass into gear to, uh, to to put in that in for that refund. And I'm also slightly concerned that um, when you actually read the terms and conditions, is that the money will be refunded to your your credit card? Mm. Uh, That you use to buy the tickets, but of course, the the tickets were sold in 2019. Now, you know, 18 months later, many people that their credit cards will have expired, Uh, and and therefore, it's going to be an absolute ball ache to go through more and more paperwork in terms of proving uh, that a individual bank account is linked to that credit card and things of this nature. So, it's going to be an administrative nightmare. and even if you do put in for a refund, uh, UEFA are saying it's going to take probably at least another 30 days on top of that. So so they've, they've had people's money for you know, 18 months, best part of two years mm. in, in many respects, uh, sitting in their bank account, um, earning them interest whilst we've been sitting around it. And to a certain extent, I feel slightly shafted.
1: Well, the, yeah, most days of the week, Kieran, you feel slightly shafted, to be perfectly honest. But um, uh, there's an interesting one here, I mean, Moscow for you, would be uh, a mixed blessing because obviously you'd have accommodation there, but you wouldn't be able to get past that massive photograph of you at the airport, I'm (laughs) I'm guessing. Um, Surely, uh, I don't look at, obviously, you know me, Kieran, of course, I don't look at the small print on on any ticket. Um, But I guess on the most match day tickets or even entertainment tickets, it, it says... You know, this, this could be cancelled or moved or transferred and we have no responsibility if that happens, doesn't it? It's not,
0: this, this is not unique, is it? It isn't unique, and certainly, uh, if if you buy a ticket for a football match and it gets moved by TV, for example, from three o'clock on a Saturday to you know to to seven forty-five on a Monday, I think I think you buy it in 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 good faith with with the with the potential knowledge that 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 you might not get to see the match at the time you originally envisaged. Um, but even so, you know, if if Palace said, "Oh, by the way," Uh, you know, next uh next our next home match against whoever it is, um, we're shifting it to. Yeah, uh, you know, we're shifting it to Valencia, or we're shifting it to Azerbaijan, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we're not going to give you your money back. Um, yeah, you know, you've got to go and schlep over there. You, you would feel fairly peeved, so. Ch- changing dates and times due to events beyond control. And you, know, you work in the entertainment industry. You are an artist. Um, and, you know, I, I've been to gigs which have been delayed because the singers, you know, tonsils are playing up or, mm-hmm. or you know, the, the bass players got so blind drunk that you can't find his way to the gig. And you say, well, OK, it'll be rescheduled. You, you take those on the chin. Uh, but you still expect it to take place at the same venue in the same same town. Uh, you know, to actually move uh, fixtures in terms of countries and get yeah, no compensation does seem harsh. Yeah, I'm also interested in that 30 days as well because I'm still waiting for my
1: uh, first season ticket refund from Palace and their definition of five working days seems to be five days in this year that I've worked, uh, <laughs> which means it's going to be around December till I finally get... <laughs> I keep saying, well, Saturday and Sunday doesn't count. Well, a lot, a lot of people work on Saturdays and Sundays. Why is that not a work? Also, I can never quite understand why it never works. That when, when UEFA want you, your money, it goes straight into their account the next day. Oh, boom. And yet it yeah. takes 30 Just, uh, you mentioned force majeure, Kieran, and this is not on our list of uh, news or questions, but it came up on Friday that um, the High Court ruled in favour of quite a few hospitality companies against insurance companies who are claiming force majeure. Uh, as a reason to not pay money during the COVID pandemic. would are, are football clubs involved in that High Court case as well? Do we know?
0: Um, yes, they are, uh, because they would qualify as small and medium sized businesses, businesses, and many of them have business interruption insurance. So this could actually, uh, it's, it's a really good point you've raised there, Kevin. Uh, yeah, this, this could impact upon those clubs that have put in for games, for, for, for claims. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought it was fairly reprehensible of the insurance industry to try to wriggle out of it, given the, the impact that it uh, the pandemic's had on small business, but, uh, in terms of football yes it could be excellent news for for those clubs that have paid the premiums i mean they are quite pricey premiums but yeah. uh yeah, they they certainly will i mean, i was talking to one chief executive and uh uh, this was before the ruling and he said they were hoping that this would go that they would get some benefit from this so fingers crossed a the uh, the uh, the insurance companies won't try to transfer this to yet another court in terms of their their standard approach of delaying doing everything uh, and b they'll get their fingers out and they will settle these claims before those businesses go bust because you know, it's all very well getting an insurance compensation but the aim is to to allow the business owners a, a wee bit more breathing space until hopefully Hopefully, we will return to you know some form of of lockdown uh, ceasing to be the case once the vaccination program uh, you know goes through a tipping point uh, mm. where where people can can start to feel a little bit safer from from an individual and, 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 a, and a national health perspective.
1: Mm. We're only nine minutes into this, Kieran. So far, you've called me an artist and said I made a fair point. I'm having a good pod. I've, 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 I've started early. I think Jamie Redknapp would be picking me out saying, he's having a good game there, isn't he? Um, Kieran, as you know, I, normally, I, I my one concession to professionalism is is getting the email from Guy and writing notes. So I write the script out and write notes. Uh, and normally I do some little notes to myself and little things to say to you. But for our next news story, Kieran, I've just written down Derby County,
0: basically. Yes. And, and the word in brackets, discuss. Uh- yeah, we we could have, and in fact, I've been contacted by the Derby County blog to say, um, "Are official, we renaming official the, Derby. the show?" Right? <laughs> um, the the price of Derby County because <laughs> yet, yet again they um, they 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 have a lot taking place at the club. Yeah, um, and as we've always said, if, if you get mentioned on this show once or twice, that that you know, it, it's flip a coin quite often it's good news stories India? um if you're appearing on a regular basis it, it, it tends to mean that it's uh, it, it's it's not good news and um, and sadly uh, none of none of the issues that i've got written down here right. um are particularly positive so if if we start off uh with wages mm. um, apparently derby had paid half of the wages in december but half is outstanding um and their wage bill, we don't know for exact sure because they've not published accounts for so long, but their their wage bill was in between three to four million pounds a month. So they've not had the resources to to pay the December wages. Clearly, Wayne Rooney uh, has been appointed yeah. uh, as full time manager, and congratulations to him for that. Mm. Um, but trying to motivate the players who haven't been paid, it it, it's, it, it adds complications to a job which is already challenging um and of course yesterday they they played at home to rotherham which yeah. you know relegation dogfight uh to to quote a cliche um, and they lost at home i'm I'm not saying that the non-payment of wages is the reason for it but it, it's not going to help mm. um and the club has been criticized by people connected to players who are saying the club's communication has been sort of fairly offhand. You know, an email uh, towards the end of December to say, uh, well, we're not going to pay you the full amount this month, and then sort of radio silence for a few days. Uh, you know, if, if there's bad news, you, you've got to keep people on board. Mm. Um, and, and I don't think the club's exactly uh, helped itself here. So so that's, that's the first bit of news, um, which isn't great. Second bit of news, we're moving on to the takeover by Sheikh Khaled and the the Do, consortium um now by all accounts terms were agreed uh, but we were told that terms had been agreed some time ago mm. the, the deal was initially going to take place in december then before christmas then before the new year we're now up to we were we're recording this on the 17th of january and still nothing's happened um you know i've i've, I've been told that uh, you know funds have been put in place um, and and then somebody says, well, it might take time to, for the for the money to be transferred across. Now, we're living in the you know, we're living in twenty twenty one. Money transfers instantly. I can assure you. you know, and anybody that works in in any arm of finance and banking, yes, yes, there could be uh, just some you know quick checks and balances to make sure that the money's not come come from uh, inappropriate sources, mm. but. Yeah, uh, you know, it, 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 we, we are talking, you know, a, a day or two at most. So that that's a cause for concern. Um, so you therefore have to ask yourself why has the deal not gone through? Mm. Um, and, and looking at the potential parties, well, first of all, we've got the EFL. Um, there is an owners and, owners and directors test, but given that the deal had been agreed, you would assume that the owners and directors test has been passed. Although perhaps there could be things outstanding there. Secondly the EFL have got an appeal in, in against in terms of one of the rulings uh that uh, when they charged derby county um, and this is the the amortization case which I, I know as as a big yeah. amortization fan you're desperate to find the final uh, the the, f- the final final ruling on that but that's dragging on that could impact upon the price yeah because if derby are found guilty of the charges uh the, the tariff in terms of uh fines uh, or points deductions could be applied, and, and therefore that would have an impact upon where they could be potentially be playing next season. Um, there could be an issue in terms of the price. Is is the price linked to to where Derby County are at the end of the season? Um, or, you know, and, and this is the thing which I think fans fear most of all, is the owner, a tyre kicker, who's... Yeah just a glorified tire kicker there, there have been issues with with this potential owner before was linked at one stage with Newcastle there's talk about unpaid bills to to a party uh, yeah we don't know how accurate those claims are uh, and so on so so that's that's where we are in terms of the takeover and, and then another story came out that um the 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 club might therefore be applying to further loans to this company who, who we're starting to see more and more of in the world of football finance this company called MSD holdings mm. um yeah it was it was it's involved with uh, burnley in terms of a loan of somewhere between 60 to 80 million pounds to the new owner it has lent money to derby county before um if there is a takeover, most sort of uh, loans organized by sort of specialist boutiques will have what's referred to as a change of control clause, which could mean that A, they're entitled to their money back when a new owner comes in, or B, um, if they do a risk assessment to the new owner, it could be that uh, the, there's an interest rate hike or that the, the present owners of Derby County will have to pay some form of financial penalty. So, they're involved. They've they, they've been spoken about in terms of uh, further funding, and, and then there was another report. Uh, this this was in one of the one of the papers at the week. As as a result of this, there is a potential for Derby County to go into administration. And, and you know, well we 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 have a bit of a giggle about Derby, but you know, in in, in an affectionate way, there is no way you want any club yeah. A to be going into administration because. That means two things. A, job losses, and B, some schmucks can be charging three or 400 pounds an hour for the privilege of, of being the administrator. But it also would re, would result in an automatic 12-point mm. penalty, uh, which given where Derby in, are in the league, you know, it's bad news. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry, Derby fans. We want to have a good news Derby story uh, on the show, and every week it's not. Yeah, the worrying
1: thing is, Kieran, that when we first started discussing Derby, as you say, almost with a smile on our face, it was about you know, stadium valuation shenanigans. and Now it's developing by increments in what is fast becoming more serious story. The Wayne Rooney thing is interesting. Under normal circumstances, I would I would say that Wayne Rooney becoming the manager was a very good move. He's a very intelligent young man, despite what the tabloids would would have you think. He's a very deep thinker about football, and of course, he's one of the best. Footballers of his, his generation, but the circumstances in which he's become a manager. There are people suggesting he's he's no longer player manager. He's manager. So does that mean his wages are now off? His player wages are off off the bill, and uh, but also presumably he's not become manager for for the for the sake of it for gratis, has he?
0: No, no. I mean, he he would have had a contract. Remember, he was sort of a player coach yeah. when he first joined the club. Um, and and, yeah, I've, I've seen Wayne Rooney play for England and, uh, and against Brighton. Um, and, and he, I I just can't understand why he's never been given the love that he should have had. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely like Ashley Cole. Absolutely. I quite agree. Uh, yeah, it's it's always, it's always sort of been, you know, sort of a bit of a sneering attitude towards him because he, he comes from a, you know, a working class Liverpool background. Yeah. I, I know Everton fans were unhappy with him moving to Manchester United, but it was the opportunity to play for a club that was playing in the Champions League every year. Mm. Um, and yeah, you you want a local lad to play for your club? I fully understand that. Uh, but he, even you know, his his achievements for England were amazing, and he just sort of slipped slipped away out of English football without the same type of reverence as other players. Mm. Um, And and you're absolutely right. He's, he's hugely underrated. Uh, You know, anybody you talk to in the football industry, and you know, I've, I've got family that work in football. um, You know, they, they speak very highly of him Uh, and and he is a, he is a, he's a good thinker and he's very progressive Mm. uh, captain and leader. Uh, And and I just wish him all the best uh, at Derby County itself. Uh, But I, I presume that uh, you know he will have signed a different contract as manager to that of player coach. So th- th- yes, there will be a monetary change. How big that will be uh, is unknown. Clearly, the, the previous manager, when he was sacked, will uh, be subject to—he'll be entitled to compensation. Mm. Um, but it's—it's it, it's going to rattle on. It, it's not good for the fans. It's not good for the club, and and it's not good for for Mel Morris, the owner, who who has put yeah you know, he's a lifelong fan he's put huge sums of money into the club um and i think it's tainting his legacy at the club as well yeah you know, he's got good intentions I, I don't agree with you know some of the the, the financial uh, disclosure issues and policies used i, I think that they were uh, you know for me it, it was creative accounting 101 um but you know even so every, every, as we say Every club is part of the community and and Derby fans deserve a bit of peace and quiet. Yeah, we need to rattle on, Kieran. So what I'm going to do, if you don't mind,
1: there are a couple of smaller news stories. Uh, I'm going to hold them over for the news pod on Thursday because we've got a lot of decent questions that need to be answered in in some detail. So we've got, uh, well, stories about basically numbers that how much the Premier League clubs own. There's a story about... Man City and a young Brazilian player. And there's a story about the West Brom takeover. But I think they can all... I think they will all still be stories on Thursday, so let's let's get into the questions, if you don't mind. Um, The first question comes from Joshua Selig, uh, who's a regular listener. Hello, Joshua. Um, uh, Joshua says, rumours again of a proposed European Super League, which reminds Joshua of uh, previous ideas for various linked-up leagues, such as the Nordic League, the Atlantic League, the Dutch Belgian League, etc. Joshua's question is: If the European Super League does happen, which I think is looking increasingly likely eventually, what could be the next move for the lower-ranked European teams? Those teams that have talked about Atlantic leagues, Nordic leagues, etc.
0: Well, um, I think I think Joshua is right to, to raise this. Um, the European Super League is is one of those threats which tend to arise every time there is a renegotiation. Of the format of the Champions League mm. and the way that the money is being distributed, so this is sort of, yeah, uh, you know, this is classic saber rattling by by those clubs who want to make more money out of European football. Um, if we'll either end up with a Super League or um, a Champions League, which is more of a closed shop in the sense. That uh, clubs, uh, you know, clubs from the five main countries uh, in Europe, in terms of revenue generation, which is clearly uh, England, Spain, Italy, France, and Germany, you know, they they want to to really get a stranglehold on the revenues. Um, this leaves the the middle tier countries, you know, effectively, you know, the equivalent of. You know, the likes of Palace and Brighton and West Brom and Burnley who who are in the you know from a Premier League perspective you know where are those clubs going to be left if uh, if these if uh, if these individual big clubs go off and play down their own end of the street um there is a lot of logic in having some joined up national leagues um uh, from a from a geographical perspective Belgium and the Netherlands you know, that, you, you can see the rationale behind that. Would it make sense to add in Portugal and uh, Scotland into uh, an Atlantic League? There, there is a case for that. There is a case against that uh, uh, as well. But some form of consolidation could arise if those clubs in those countries um, want to have a product which is attractive. To TV viewers, because it, it is it is TV contracts which drive everything, and uh, yeah, whatever this new form of Champions League Super League is going to be, that that is geared sim- simply to getting more viewers and more money, and that money being concentrated in the hands of fewer clubs. So yeah, I I do expect some form of change. Um, how radical or how gentle it's going to be, uh, we won't find out until 2024.
1: Happy New Year from the sponsor of this episode of The Price of Football, our below-the-waist grooming partner, Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and is here to help you have clean balls in the new year. Kieran, I I think both of our balls are clean all year round, but it's essential that they're clean for the new year, Kieran, isn't
0: it? It it certainly is, Kevin. Um, And, and, uh, you know, it is new year. I've just been taking down the Christmas decorations and and I've noticed that, all my baubles are smooth from the Christmas tree. So I've decided to replicate that with, with my own. Um, and I couldn't do that unless I'd manscaped uh, here to, to give myself a New Year's resolution that uh, I fully intend to keep. And I'd recommend our listeners consider this as well. Um, if you go for the perfect package, 3.0, uh, it, it's for below the waist activity uh, and it will help you start off the year pretty strong. And um, you'll get the lawn mower 3.0 which is your trimming device that will help you to come out of quarantine with cleaner balls. Um, and, and if you're if you're worried and if you've not done this type of thing before I fully understand uh, it's waterproof so you can do it in the shower and it's uh, it's skin safe so you know, if you're worried about nicking your two best friends, rest in peace on that. Um, it's got a third generation trimmer so if, if you're going for for careful grooming down there, it even shines a light. Um, and shining light on your testicles in 2021 could be one of the most exciting things we do during quarantine. So uh, yeah, I thoroughly recommend that. And if you want to freshen things up down there, um, they've got uh, the Crop Preserver. It's an anti-chafing ball de- de- deodorant and moisturizer. And if you want the uh, for f- f- freshness down there, um, we've got Ball Toner Spray, which, uh, which these guys have referred to as the Crop Reviver. Um, so start the new year with a fresh set of testes, thanks to Manscaped.
1: Well said, Kieran. If you or a friend want the besties for your testes, go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping using the code priceoffootball. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Now, Toby Bowles has one of those questions that are seemingly very simple but could leave us here for hours discussing it. Because Toby says, what's the best way to get a job involved in the decision-making of a football club? How do sporting directors, chairmen and CEOs get their positions? Do you need a degree or a background in a certain field? Now, cynically, Kieran, you would say it helps to be white male and rich but are there things that these people have in common is is there a, is there a career path if you want like toby to be
0: involved in the decision making of a football club well i mean that that former career can be diverse i mean it, you could of course have been the uh, director of horny housewives on the job <laughs> as, as we saw happen at west ham recently um but uh in in terms of getting into the football industry um it it is a tough gig because Mm. there's an awful lot of people that want to work in the industry and supply far exceeds demand. I mean, I I get regular emails from students at various universities and other people thinking about a career break saying, yeah, how did I get into the football industry? And my my standard replies, well, I'm not in the football industry. Mm. I'm I'm just a teacher who talks about it. But yeah, there are specialist courses now. You know, I'm, you know and I'm not. Uh, I'm not trying to to blow our own trumpet here, but we we at Liverpool we teach the football industry's MBA, mm. and we have high profile uh, speakers come to the course. You know, the likes of Rick Parry and Neil Doncaster and chief executives of Premier League clubs and and other clubs and people from uh, scouting organisations and, and the Deloitte Football Group and so on. Um, so getting to know people. Um, I I think is really important, uh, building up a network and having something to offer as well. Because if you can prove yourself to be um, an expert or have knowledge in in a particular field of football, then somebody's going to start asking you one or two questions. Your name will become more widely known and and that can be the vehicle into getting into the game. Uh, In terms of Toby's question, in, in terms of specialist qualifications you you don't need them you know some sometimes if you can prove that you've got transferable skills um Mm -hmm. there is no difference to to running a football club on a day-to-day basis if you're a finance director to that of a a washing machine manufacturer you've still got to look at budgets you've still got to look at your tax issues you've still got to look um at, at at planning and looking at you know why why are things not working as well uh, as we expected and anybody that's good at uh, a being able to do the forensics, to being able to do the analysis, and also being able to present to the rest of the board—it's those skills that will that will get you further in the industry. It, it is, however, quite an insular industry. We we have spoken about the uh, sort of the old boys network, which which has some merits and some demerits. I think it is. Um, it is disillusioning for for, for for women in football because there's, there's not adequate representation there. There's not adequate representation if you're from an ethnic minority background mm-hmm. and things of this nature. Um, but you, you can only change these things one step at a time. Um, and and we are seeing more and more people coming up with with more and more ideas you know we, we've had people on the show who who uh you know have, have been ex footballers who have who've tried to set up you know, alternative methods of scouting uh, mm-hmm. legal representation and so on and, and you can then use that as as a, as a sign that uh you know you are you are worthy of taking on and and, and football clubs do offer internships so mm. you know, sometimes it's 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 something as you, you just be in the right place at the right time, um, and you write to a club. You know, you think, is there an internship in this, that, or the other? You know, I, I'm be prepared to work for peanuts or nothing at all. Yeah, I'll be honest there. Mm. Um, you know, you, they might you you, sh- you show them show show them your body of work to date. You know, show them your professional person um and you know just take things on from there or you know i i to a certain extent i started this by doing a blog Mm. and and then that sort of expanded into a twitter account and then i got to know you and you know and things of this nature so sometimes it's just a case of of putting yourself out there uh trying to do things slightly differently or try to do things in a professional manner And, and you know it it's you, you will get noticed if if what you do is of, of a decent standard. Yeah, and we've spoken to quite
1: a few uh, press communications people at clubs at various levels, who most of whom have got into football from, I suppose, what you consider more humble backgrounds, similar backgrounds to us. But uh, the other answer to Toby's question, unfortunately, is if you're talking about being involved in decision-making at the very highest levels of football, then the easiest way is either to be uh an oil-rich potentate or to win the lottery and buy a football club because otherwise decision making at those very high levels is something that's cut off from the rest of us essentially isn't it Kieran really no matter how hard you work as a, as a club employee you're not going to get to the very level where you're making decisions that affect the actual future of the club essentially
0: um yeah, it's, yeah does, does it help to be a billionaire yes certainly does yeah. but um Remember that the owners quite often will delegate the day to day responsibilities in turning in terms of running the club to to professionals and in terms of uh you know will will the owner have to say ultimately the thumbs up or thumbs down in terms of funding a new transfer change of manager uh and so on yes yes they will um but a, a lot more of the you know a lot more of the sort of the day to day decisions will be delegated to to professionals you know you know steve Parrish, you know you think about his role at palace he he came into it as to rescue the club and yeah, now he's to- he is making those decisions yeah he's he he is independently wealthy but he's uh at the same time, he, he works with a team around him, a communications director. You know, quite quite often, you'll see communications directors used to be fanzine editors. That's true. Who yeah. who who sort of have, you know who reported on the club, and then the club will say to them, "Well, you know somebody somebody who writes the uh, somebody who writes the the pro the club program, he, that person's moving on. Do you fancy a go at that?" And, and, the, and there is a career path, um, but it's it it's not easy.
1: Yeah, I'm glad Steve Parrish got a bit of love there because I know he listens to the pod occasionally. He'll be pleased about that. Uh, hello, Steve. Five five working days, Steve. Come on, sort that out. Um, Toby, good luck if you were asking that question uh, with regards to trying to get a career in football. Good luck to you. Um, one of Kieran and I's little sidelines is fake references, basically. So if you need a reference, just just drop us a line. We'll be happy to say whatever you want to whatever club. Uh, John Rooney, our second Rooney of the day. John Rooney says, do you know how much has been paid in total so far, to broadcasting companies in the form of COVID
0: rebates? Right. Um, in, ter- in terms of amounts which have been paid, actually, I suspect that there's been nothing or close to nothing. Oh, okay. A- and the reason for that is that if we take a look at the Premier League, my understanding is is that the the broadcasters are entitled to a three hundred and sixty million pound rebate? But what they've said, because it, it's in Sky and BTs and Amazon Prime's in, in uh, yes, in their interests that football continues, uh, they've said we will in, instead of asking for a, a cash rebate, we will reduce what we're going to be paying you from the installments over the course of the next three years. Mm. So so that you know from a cash flow perspective that's really good for the clubs. The clubs are being hit heavily at present uh due to uh, matches taking place behind closed doors. Um so I think the sum has been agreed of 360 million pounds in the Premier League. Then there is the the issue to do with China. Uh that's cost that the Premier League probably around about 150 million pounds in terms of cash that didn't arrive uh so they had signed a, a contract um and, and the 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 chinese broadcast partner didn't pay so so that's cost money um as far as the EFL are concerned uh, the EFL TV deal is worth 119 million pounds a year and there's been a relatively small uh deduction from that uh, i think that was in in line with some of the matches weren't played uh, yeah i think the playoffs were some of the playoffs one legs and, and the carabao cup semi final mm. one legs so i, I think there's there's only uh probably only a 7 or 8 million pound uh, adjustment and again that adjustment will come through in 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 payments by sky to uh, to the EFL over a period of time and the the organisation which has had the biggest hit financially uh, it looks like it's going to be uefa because if if you recall um the uh the, the matches which did take place to, in terms of the knockouts towards the end of last season um many of those became one legged um and, and of course you know that's where the the excitement is from uh, uh you know from from a from a TV broadcast perspective it, they get good ratings so if all of a sudden a two leg match becomes one legged uh it means that there, there are genuine holes which are not going to be filled at a later date ultimately all of last season's Premier League games took place, so therefore, you know, the, the broadcasters said, "Well, we weren't happy when the matches took place, but you know, we, we're not going to go, we're not going to go piling in for the EFL." Yes, the the broadcasters missed out uh, in terms of the uh, of League One and League Two matches not taking place, but the Championship can, uh, continued and so on. So, um, but for UEFA, uh, I think they're, they're they're looking at a hit of around about five hundred million, and again, my understanding that's going to be spread over a period of years.
1: Do you think, Kieran? We've we're getting used now to in the Premier League, especially six o'clock midweek kickoffs, eight o'clock Sunday night kickoffs, three o'clock games being televised. When this is over, and it will be, do you think the idea of uh, three o'clock kickoffs on the Saturday? and those games not being televised will be completely anachronistic. Do you think with that, that genie's not going back in the bottle?
0: Well, presently, it's down to legislation. Um, you know, There is a protection of the sort of, you know, the the, the sacrosanct 3pm kickoff on a Saturday in order to protect clubs in the EFL. Because yeah. if there is a, for want of what a better phrase, a big match taking place at 3 o'clock on a Saturday, um, you know, For you or I, we we wouldn't give a damn. We we would go to support our clubs. Mm. Um, But there are some fans who are, you know, more of a walk-up basis. Uh, if, If the weather's dreadful and we're talking about, you know, Colchester versus Grimsby, or something of that nature. You might take a look outside and say, "Well, you know, West Ham are playing Spurs live on the telly. It's it's already part of my package. I'm not paying any extra for it." it, it all of a sudden, it, it it can have an impact. And if you take a look at the attendance figures for clubs in League One and League Two and the Championship. Uh, when their matches are clashing with Champions League matches, there, there does appear to be an impact upon uh, attendances, which is which is why 3pm's always been uh, sort of ring fenced by the government. But what the government's approach is going to be post COVID, nobody really knows. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I am concerned that we will find uh, what we have at present to be the new normal, and for. Football matches to to go one after the other in in terms of broadcast, mm. um, but you know Sky and BT and, and Amazon haven't paid for those matches.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, they 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 have bought half of the Premier League matches now. If if uh, if the Premier League is going to use this as the basis to sell all of the matches and say you know there's going to be four matches back to back on a Saturday, four matches back to back on a Sunday, one on a Friday, one on a Monday, then you know the, the 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 reaction of the broadcasters, I think, will be intriguing, and and that will dictate. You know, if if they're not prepared to offer a lot more money, then I think we might return to seeing a few more matches at three o'clock on a Saturday. I, but but you know, I, I know we're both old school, you and I. Mm. Uh, I, I, I there is nothing better than a three o'clock Saturday kickoff because it means getting to the pub with your mates at half eleven. Mm. It means going back there at, at you know you're in there for quarter past five. And then you get home you know at uh at a, at, a, at an appropriate inappropriate hour <laughs> um and, and anything which isn't that is not thats not quite the same so i'm I, you know as a I, I might be a dinosaur here but i'm hoping that there will be we'll go back to having you know three or four matches kicking off at three o'clock on a Saturday. and you know with, with no disrespect to the clubs that we support our clubs are more likely to play at that time because if you know if, if we're playing Burnley or Sheffield United, it doesn't tend to be one of the matches which is chosen for, 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 for live football. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm just sitting here
1: thinking about three o'clock kickoffs in the pub. Uh, Matty Bergen has asked an interesting question, I think. All our questions are interesting, but Matty's one that is particularly so. Leicester City signed George Hurst, the son of Sheffield Wednesday legend David Hurst, from their Belgian sister team, O.H. Leuven. Uh, apparently so they wouldn't have to pay a transfer fee to Sheffield Wednesday. Matty says, is this legal? And should Wednesday be entitled to money as his move to Belgium then Leicester happened after his contract expired? I think you may have answered your own question there, Matty, but what I find interesting in is Kieran, is what is a relationship with a sister club i mean it, are you just investing in another European club and making that a sister club what How does that work? Are there contracts involved so if you could answer Matty's question first and then maybe yeah, just tell us okay. a little bit about that relationship, I'd be. Well-
0: Okay. Looking, looking at this lad, George Hurst, he he made his his debut for Sheffield Wednesday. He was very young. He made it in 2016-17. Uh, and then for whatever reason, uh, the relationship soured. I think there was some form of contract dispute. Um, at the time, Leicester was supposed to be very interested in him. He was a very promising young player. Uh, there'd been talk about Leicester making a £2 million bid. And... Things didn't work out between Sheffield Wednesday and, and George Hurst, and his and his contract therefore expired. So you know, under under the Bosman ruling, he's entitled to move, and and he joined uh, uh, Leuven or Louvain uh, in in Belgium um, under a Bosman. Um, now because he was under 23, um Sheffield Wednesday were entitled to a fixed compensation payment but it, but it's not very much. Right. Mm-hmm. And then um he he did okay at Leyton and then he was sold to Leicester. Now I think Sheffield Wednesday fans they're saying, "Well, was this a ploy? Because if he had gone um, from uh, Sheffield Wednesday to Leicester at the end of his contract, there could have been uh, a greater compensation fee." So I think that's the that's the concern. Um, is it legal? My my understanding, having spoken to to one of my legal friends, is yes, it is um it, it might it he says it's one of those things which might leave a sour taste in the mouth but um you know co- contracts are contracts and, and they are signed between individuals and employers and, and therefore you you have to view it from that perspective um in terms of sort of the the second question and and in, you know says so he's gone to Leicester, yet he has played in the premier league i think actually he's on loan uh, presently at, uh, at Rotherham part of his development and remember we spoke uh, to to Leicester's development, manager. yes, indeed. so, uh, you know, so it's, it's all it's all linked in uh, in some way. Um, in terms of relationships, they they can be formal or informal. Um, so yeah, there's formal relationships in terms of the the city football group. Um, you know they they city football group own manchester city and clubs in new york and uh, melbourne and, and japan and china and belgium and france and uh, they're just in the habit of doing one somewhere else i think it's paraguay um so so th- there can be formal links where one club will have a or one organisation will have a as sort of a statutory investment in the form of shares or it could be more of an informal relationship whereby um you know we we agree to work together as as friends as partners um so so it th- those are sort of the, the two types of arrangement i know chelsea have had one historically with with a club in belgium and i think manchester united have as well so you know they, they tend to be there's there's benefits to both clubs you know if if you can lend three or four players to another club it makes the loan managers job that much easier. The players themselves, there's, there's faces they already know from their, their host club. Um, so, so that's why these sort of informal relationships sometimes uh, are created. Yeah, if
1: we had more time, and I've just noticed uh, how long we've been chatting for, and we still have a few questions, uh, I would probably ask you how Brexit is going to affect that. But I'm going to let one of our listeners, inevitably, somebody will ask a question off the back of that to say, how will Brexit affect uh, these sister club relationships with European clubs? But in the meantime, David Beniston is a Sheffield United fan. And he wants to know how many clubs in the Premier League and Championship have taken the same stance as Sheffield United and are not requiring fans to buy season tickets at all for this season. And how many have required fans to pay for season tickets in full?
0: Right. Well, I guess to a certain extent, I'm going to have to go on David's uh, naughty step because I started to work my way through. On a club by club basis, and, and then realised that uh, if I did that, I wouldn't have enough time to research all the other questions. Um, but there, there are a variety of of approaches being taken. I know that Watford have taken the same approach as um, Sheffield United, and they they didn't ask season ticket holders for any money. Um, we've got clubs such as you know yours and mine and Newcastle who who did take money and then have subsequently uh, offered uh, refunds um, and. Some of those are being paid, and and some of those are on the uh, the longest five days of all time <laughs> uh, tab. From what you're saying, Kevin, um, and, and then there's some which are sort of taken an interim viewpoint, which says we'll we will take a you know, a quarter payment this year. So so th- there have been a variety, but um, you know everybody should be aware that uh, a season ticket gives you contractual rights, and if the club has failed to deliver, you are entitled. Uh, to a refund, so, so don't be fobbed off. The, the trouble is, you know, if, if you threaten to go down the legal route, small claims courts are – it will be a pain in the backside. Um, I'm sorry about that noise in the background. Uh, that's the dog with his squeaky chipmunk.
1: Is it? Yes. Is it really? <laughs> is it a coincidence that that squeaks, as you said, it's a pain in the backside? <laughs> He's got a <laughs> – well, of course that's so sussex he's got a squeaky chipmunk he couldn't just have a squeaky dog bone like everybody else has got he's got a squeaky chipmunk all right well let's um uh, david uh i apologize that he's now on your naughty step kieran's on a lot of people's naughty steps i have to say there's a lot of naughty steps in this country that you are booking space on not uh have you taken the chipmunk off him or is we <laughs> well yeah
0: he's uh he, he's he's Come to me. You're trying to scrounge a biscuit
1: off me. Is the attention like, It would be a nice biscuit as well, I imagine, where you are. Um, Tony McNeary, hello, Tony. Points out that you said, Kieran, on a recent pod, that after laying off a number of footballing scouts, Arsenal were looking at a player finding process that was more driven by data than, shall we say, the old boy network of scouting. How much of the moneyball process of finding and hiring undervalued assets? as supposedly practised by the Fenway Sports Group, is myth versus reality in the Premier League today. So we hear
0: a lot about money ball, Kieran, but is it actually taking place? Yes, it is. Um, clubs are investing large sums of money, either through having uh, relationships with the likes of Smarter Scout, Scout Stats Bomb, Why Scouts, um, some of them even have relationships with Football Manager, because... Yeah, whilst people see football ma- manager as a. A, a a game which uh, occupies uh, many many of their hours. Uh, all all that you see in terms of the interface on on Football Manager is about twenty different uh, uh, statistical representations of a player. But behind that, there's there's a second uh, wave of stats. Um, and and, and uh, I understand Football Manager actually sell those to, to individual clubs. Uh, and of course, we had Darren Robinson on the show last year. You know, and he, and he was operating uh, again some sort of talent identification using statistics. Um, as, and sort of combining that with uh, sort of the, the more of the the visual uh, observations that that uh, that scouting uh, has had historically. So um, it, it is reality um in my view the, the three best clubs in the in the Premier League in terms of uh, the, the adaptation or the, sorry the adoption of moneyball tactics are Liverpool, Manchester City uh, and Leicester. Um, and if you take a look at their trophy cabinet recently and where they are in the premier League uh, I think those dividends and that investment which started a few years ago so it, it's it, it's not going to work instantly and i think this is why some clubs especially those clubs perhaps towards the the bottom of divisions when when they're having to make urgent decisions um you need to have the people that understand the data and, and unfortunately uh you need to employ nerds you know and speaking as an unemployed nerd at some point <laughs> in my life yeah I'm, I'm quite grateful for that um but uh you it, it's all very well having the data uh, it's understanding the data that that's really important and, and those clubs have uh, have gone down that particular route of employing people with uh, PhDs in in very complex uh, statistical uh, analysis uh, as part of of their their scouting network. At the same time, uh, you know, the manager is involved, or the the director of football would be involved in these decisions. Um, and and sometimes uh, you know st- st- statistics, and certainly as somebody that that plays with numbers all the time. I can make numbers look good or bad by by being selective. So I think you have to be a, a little bit cautious with relation to this um, and to to see that you're not just employing a, 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 an addendum of individual statistics. You're employing a young man or, or a young woman, uh, if you're playing in the WSL, um, and you're, you're looking for... Different parts of their personality—are they going to fit in with the with the culture of the club and things of that nature? So uh, you should never make a decision purely based on a statistical analysis, but it is a good way of sieving out um, a lot of things which, uh, which which in theory should make the final decision a wee bit easier. Mm. Uh, Chris Barrett is a long-standing season ticket holder at
1: Reading. I have no problem with that. Chris, what I do have a problem is—is is your ground having a jazz cafe? That's really another another step down a slippery slope. Well, West Ham under the new ownership, it could have a jazz cafe. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Um, uh, Chris is—I'm uh, going to write that down. I'm just going to change the A in jazz to Um Chris is very keen to get back to watch football, uh, as we all are, as discussed earlier. But he's interested to understand what you think about fans adhering to social distancing guidelines, when in my experience, says Chris, you can't even get fans to sit down uh, and guilty as charged, says Chris. Now, on the face of it, Kieran, that's not a football finance question, except it is, because I can't imagine it will go from no fans in May to all the fans in August, and there will be guidelines. And and usually the sanction for repeatedly breaking any stadium rules is a, a
0: rescinding of a season ticket, isn't it? Um, well there's there's the rescinding of the season ticket, but remember also the the safety advisory group at every ground mm. um they have the rights to close. Either the whole ground or sections of it, and it and it could be that as as we return, um, and, and it's as you say, it's it's not going to be an all or nothing. We're not going to go from from zero to thirty thousand mm. uh, in terms of people attending matches. It is going to be tiered. If there are uh, observed offences, and football again seems to be used um, as a political diversion at present, we we've seen the. Uh, the, the the big fuss made about players celebrating goals. Yes. Um and yeah my my view is that when 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 we came back out of lockdown it last June everybody was able to score a goal and and they did keep their distance. Yeah. And I, and and in like I think practically everything Lockdown two and three, we're not adhering to the rules with the same degree of devotion as as we did historically, and and that's also applied to to player goal celebrations. Now, if players are going to start jumping on each other and hugging, then if if that's what fans see, then we're going to do the same.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. In terms of social distancing, uh, it, I, I don't know what it what it's like at other grounds. I, I know the one match I did go to when uh, when I saw Brighton play Sheffield United you, know, you were seated four seats apart from everybody um I, I I sit in the standing area if you know what I mean I be, I'm, I've always had a season ticket behind a goal um and then the clubs like many clubs they turn a blind eye to, yeah. to, to fans in that area actually standing and making some noise um there was a far more authoritarian approach taken and when we were forced to sit down mm. um which uh, which was frustrating but if if that's what it takes to, to have to go and see a football match, then yes. So yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. I think the clubs will be monitoring uh, fans who who are in breach of the rules and also the politicians who, who have been making a, a bit of hay in relation to this uh, in terms of goal celebrations, which... Uh, yeah, they are avoidable to a certain extent, or to a total extent. Um, but but it is a contact sport, so y- you can spread the disease just as easy from marking somebody at a corner. Um, I, I think I think it, it it's it's not going to be easy, mm. but.
1: It's a price worth paying. Yeah, these things are avoidable, Kieran, just as the Prime Minister not travelling seven miles on his bike away from home is avoidable as well. So, yeah, I think if. It's it's, it's distraction tactics. Yeah, if the rules are going to apply, and as you say, football's often used as a summit to kick, which is obviously. Uh, part of the game, but you know, if we're all going to abide by the rules, that's fine. But if only some of us are, then you can, you do wonder why it's footballers that get the stick as ever. Uh, and I think an unfortunate side effect of Marcus Rashford's brilliant work is that there are politicians who will be looking to do anything they can to paint football in a bad light. Uh, David Gill is a Leeds fan. Jeez. Good job yesterday, David. Well, that was an unexpectedly annoying result. Um, Neil Mope scored as well uh, I don't know if you you probably would have been watching the game but Tim Sherwood over on the results service on Sky was busily explaining how Brighton can't score goals and were probably going down just as the news came in that they were 1-0 up at Leeds so they were um, but David's got a question now I don't think we've been asked this before which is interesting because it's it's quite. It's not an obvious one, David. I don't mean to insult you, but it's one that you think would have been asked before because it's a, a big question. Um, David says that Leeds, uh, and I, I quote, were royally shafted last year by international managers taking their players for Nations League games and pointless friendlies. And as an example, he uses Liam Cooper, who was injured for some time after playing for Scotland. And David just wants to know, are international teams obliged to compensate clubs in any way for injuries sustained in international duties?
0: Right. Um, yeah, this is this is intriguing, and I presume David Gill uh, as a Leeds fan, he pro- he's not the same David Gill who is the former Manchester United chief executive. You'd Guess not, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, he that would probably, be a surprise. probably know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you would hope he would. Yes, um, the, the 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 ruling is, and and this is quite disturbing in certain respects. There is an agreement between FIFA, UEFA, and the European Club Association that uh compensation will be paid uh for a uh, for a player who is injured on international duty but only in the final stages of a tournament really so oh, okay okay. In the World Cup, it will be you know in the World Cup tournament itself. The qualifiers don't count. Exactly the same for the um, the, the, the Euro twenty twenty tournament, um, but uh, but the the African Cup of Nations. It's it's not mentioned here, so I don't don't know whether uh, players who are injured in that tournament are covered. Um, and it can be really costly for a club, and I think a classic example would be that of Dean Ashton. <laughs> Yeah, uh, who who I always thought was going to be a cracking player yeah. for England, yeah. and he was he was tragically injured, um, training uh, at an England camp before an international, and that ended up uh, finishing off his career. But he was at West Ham at the time, was, yeah. and they had to go and pay up the rest. He, they had to pay the, his wages for the remainder of his contract, which which does intuitively seem very very harsh. Um, but uh, if, if that had been if, if that had been at a world if that had been at a uh, a world cup tournament uh you uh, FIfa would have paid up uh, un, under their scheme and certainly when when i've looked at fifa 's accounts uh, in looking at the last two tournaments the, the amount of money that's been paid out has been quite sizable now uh, Kieran, our penultimate question comes from matt uh, keep or Kype
1: or kiip um Tony got four letters k e i p and i 've already had three ways to get it wrong, possibly. Um, so I apologise, Matt, if you could let me know. how, I'd be interested to know how that is pronounced. Um, but Matt is in Canada and discovered our pod in the early stages of the pandemic, and he loves it. He loves it, Gary He loves our pod. Thank you, Matt. Um, and here in Canada, Matt says that he can watch for free the Russian Premier League, the USL Championship, the A League, the J League, the K League, The Liga Primera de Nicaragua, select games from the DFB Pokal, which is a German Cup competition, and a game of the week in German Tier 3. How do these leagues justify making their games for free, says Matt. Not that he's complaining, although I imagine the Baroness would be, uh, Kieran. Sorry, darling, guys asked me to watch the Nicky Aguilar game for the pod tomorrow. Um,
0: It's a good point. I mean, that's a lot of football to watch for nothing, isn't it? It it is a lot of football. I I presume the A-League is the Australian league and is not the yeah. it's not the vis provanatorus <laughs> uh, definition um which which I'll refer to after the show um uh,
1: sorry i know what it is which is why i'm giggling sorry <laughs> i'm still giggling at jizz uh, cafe to be perfectly honest which is very very childish and if only guy shared yeah, out his childish sense of humor so being so serious in his quest
0: for gold and professional <laughs> <laughs> go, go on um the reason why that um, the football is available for free is because it can't be sold for a fee. Ah, I see. Because because there, there simply isn't demand right. in Canada. Right. What is the demand to watch Russian football? Fair point. So so therefore, by putting it out on a social media channel such as YouTube, um, a little bit of money is being generated because, uh, as as you're probably aware, yeah, I'm and I'm a big uh, big consumer of of youtube um, mm-hmm. there, there's adverts before everything and in fact if, you have, if i'm watching a, a documentary on something via youtube you know it, it's it's now halfway through you you yes. break up adverts yes, yes. there as well so so this is a way of of generating um a little bit of money um via an alternative method and also um you can monitor the number of views so it could be that uh you know if if there is interest in a particular uh, German club, you know, German second or third division club, and they they're seeing those numbers coming up. You know, they might try to find out, you know, do we have a fan base, you know, in in Ontario or, or Quebec or, or or Vancouver, and it actually could be that good from their point of view because if you then do your homework, you can get in contact with those people, you could sell more shirts and things of this nature. So, um, the, the reason why it's free is because yeah without being too rude that's the value of the product um in terms of uh what a broadcaster is prepared to pay because broadcasters want to pay for the premier League for la liga for the Bundesliga the champions League and so on um and you know, if 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 russian football was available on YouTube would you watch it yeah you know, yeah you know, we're even, even I'm struggling with sort of football overload at present in terms of TV, and that's that's the domestic game. Um, and you're absolutely right. I, 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 my, uh, my my marriage would come to a very, very swift halt if, if I was watching the Paraguayan second division playoffs mm. at 3am in the morning. Yeah, I, I
1: I don't watch stuff on YouTube anymore. I, I try to watch the St. Paul's suite by... Gustav Holst about a year ago, and there's an advert five minutes injury in a bouncy bit. So I gave up YouTube; that's no good. Also, I noticed that Findlay's barking now. Is he, have you he taken his chipmunk
0: away? Is he? <laughs> that's right. is, I think The Baroness is uh... <laughs> The Baroness. Is this. Let's let's not. Let's there's, not a play time, there's a playtime and there's a non-playtime. Yes, it came to
1: me. <laughs> uh, yes, let's not go down the Baroness squeaky chipmunk. <laughs> uh as we've got another question that uh, we're going into the hour which i know guy doesn't like because he pays imaginary overtime to imaginary staff apparently he's, he's like a proper 1970s itv tv producer <laughs> worried about industrial action in case we go over the hour um but so our final question comes from phil reynolds uh phil reynolds is a gillingham fan um now, I've always no, not liked Gillingham, but my my broadcasting idol was Brian Moore, uh, who was a Gillingham fan. So I've never been able to hate Gillingham as much as I, uh, I should hate every other club. But Paul says he was looking at the accounts for Gillingham recently and notices that the club now includes a school in
0: their records, which seems unusual. Why would that be the case? Um, well, I, th- I think you've got to give Chillingham uh, owner Paul Scally a-, a bit of credit here because wow. um, this is a school uh, for fifty pupils who uh, have either been excluded or at risk of exclusion from from mainstream education. So it's dis- and it's it's exclusively for kids in the eleven to sixteen area the, the age group. Um, the a- the aim of the school is to say okay, you don't enjoy traditional education, but we're going to sort of piggyback it on the relationship with the football club. So, you know, you, you will have people from the club coming in. So, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, teaching things about nutrition, you'll have the club, you, you'll have some of the club physios coming in to teach you about biomechanics and things of this nature. Um, the coaches will come in occasionally. And I think it's really good um, as a way of uh, using football as a social good, um, so so the school was opened in in 2015. I, I think it's fair to say initially it, it had challenges. The, the first two Ofsted reports were uh, requires improvements, so, but subsequent to that, its most recent Ofsted report has moved up to good, um, and uh, yeah, it, it is it is it is not going to make a lot of money yeah with only 50 pupils but uh yeah i i'm i'm impressed you know and i and i know uh, there are other clubs that operate similar schemes but not quite as formal uh you know i'm i'm quite friendly with with Mark and Nicola Palios at, uh, at right, Tranmere yeah. and and i know that they they run sort of informal schemes for for those kids who have become involved in gangs who have dropped out of the education system and, and they use football because everybody, yeah, you know, well not everybody, but you know, a significant proportion of young people love football um, to try to get them back into, um, into the mainstream to give them a second chance because there are too many people mm. writing off too many kids who often are being brought up under horrendous circumstances mm. domestically. Um, and, any club that's involved in schemes of this nature, uh, you know, big high fives from me and, and hat is doffed.
1: Absolutely, because it, it, it might not occur to people listening to this pod outside the UK, and I know there are many thousands of you. Uh, you know, Gillingham are a club in Kent, and you may associate Kent with the Garden of England, but also, you know, the, the Medway towns in which Gillingham lies in the middle uh, – as an area of huge social deprivation. So I think this is a brilliant story. I didn't know about it. And then I, I'm really annoyed that I didn't know about it, Kieran, because, of course, we hear all the negative stories but so rarely get a chance to discuss season. Also, it has to be said, when Paul Scally first took over at Gillingham, quite some years ago now, there was more negative publicity about him than many, many club owners at the time. So the fact that he's still there and the fact that Gillingham are doing things like this is it's wonderful actually and I, and I wouldn't make, if anybody from Gillingham is listening I'd be really happy to get you on the show to talk more about this and I know that other clubs are doing similar things so uh, thank you Phil Reynolds for giving us the chance to have a positive uh, and uplifting way to end this pod I'm sorry sure it's gone on a little bit longer than normal if you have questions for our next pod our next questions pod it's questions at com, and we will be back on Thursday with our news stories the three of which will be the ones we didn't have time to cover today in the meantime i shall pass you
0: over to um the owner of the squeaky chipmunk for his usual farewell message okay folks all stay safe we- we'll see you on thursday uh, until then look after yourselves and your loved ones take care everybody bye-bye now bye my son for football.